0: Thank you, Ron, for the intro. I've actually have been in this position for almost a year now, so. <laughs> That's okay, though. But I, it, is, it was a work in progress. Um, I am a work in progress. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, Ron, I wish I could be as funny as you. <laughs> oh, I mean, because y'all have heard me up here. Y'all have heard my jokes. They're pretty bad. Um, but you might be wondering why there, there's some sticky notes and some pens on your table. Um, and that's because here, here's what I want you to use those for I'd like you to, to, to take a pen and a sticky note and to write on that sticky note something that you need to confess to God and to a brother. And I know that might sound a little daunting, and right now there might be some fear that's coming up around that, <clears throat> but I would encourage you to, to wait till the end uh, of today um, and, see, and see if your, your heart has changed on that. And that's not something, confession is not something anybody can, can make you do. In fact, if they make you do it, then it's probably not going to work at all, because you're not going to be honest and you're not going to be specific about what it is that you need to confess. In order for confession to work, those two things have to be the case. It has to be honest, and it has to be specific. So this morning, we're we're, we're going to be talking about confession, and I would like to start with a reading from Psalm 51, which is a psalm of David. (coughs) He writes and says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment." Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice." Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings Then bulls will be offered on your altar." Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this morning, God, and the words that, that your servant David penned long ago Lord, this prayer of confession and repentance for his sin lord and i pray that that this prayer it become our prayer whenever we go to you and we confess our sins and whenever we go to our trusted brother and confess our sins lord and i imagine that this prayer it was penned with a broken heart and with much contrition lord so i pray that that be our approach to confession, Lord, as we seek to come to you, Lord, and be healed and be restored from our sins this morning, Lord. Lord, drive us to that. Jesus, we love you, and we pray that your spirit would come into this place and that it would move. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so it was a cold and and windy December morning on the Canza, uh, plains of Kansas, and The the windows to our car were icy to the touch. My friend Jonah and I, we were were both sleep-deprived, and we had driven the entire night from South Haven to where we were at. And I had the first driving shift that started at around 12.30 a.m., lasting until 4.30 a.m., and then my good friend Jonah, he took over and drove us the rest of the way through Missouri and on into Kansas. And you might be wondering, what would possess two 20-something-year-olds to, to pick up in the middle of the night and drive across the country into the Midwest? And there, there's actually probably a lot of things that, w- that would do that to 20-something-year-olds, but we won't, we won't talk about that. <clears throat> but, but our reason, the reason for, for what we did, it was for the adrenaline rush of none other than Colorado skiing. And the year of, of, of 2020 COVID-19 closed down much of the world, but somehow the ski resorts managed to stay open and we were gonna go and take advantage of that. And for months leading up to this trip, um, my mind, it was, it was running wild, it was racing with visions of, of shredding the gnar on my brand new snowboard, uh, by the way, and also several prayers that I would not break any more bones because I've broken three bones up until this point and I don't wanna deal with that anymore. <coughs> I should probably stop doing stuff like that if I really want that. But, however, if I had been truly honest with myself then, and I would have recognized that the month before this trip, and not just one month, but several months, I would have recognized that I had reached an all-time low in my addiction to pornography. And in fact, the entire year was one of utter darkness. And I'd found an all-time low with this, and I would look at, at it, and I would feel no conviction for it. And then I would feel bad for feeling no conviction for it, and I would make vows to God. of like, God, I will never do this again. I would shout to myself, and I would beat my chest at this giant that I face. And when the hour of temptation came time and time again, I would run back in habitual fear to it. And I would deceive myself into believing that I did not have a problem right? And that pornography is a cruel master, and such is the way of sin. So this was my struggle leading up to our ski trip, and Jonah, he was a good friend. He was honest, and he was real about his struggle with sin. So on our car ride, after many sleepless hours and after many conversations about other things and lesser things, I finally felt the urge to talk to Jonah about this problem in my life. And I confessed to him about my sin, I confessed to him about my struggles with pornography, and I confessed to him the numbness and the lack of conviction that I felt for it, and the frequency that I had done it, and how badly I wanted it to be out of my life, and he did the same. And then we committed to the good of one another and the accountability of one another, and our conversation was healing to our flesh and refreshment to our bones. And Christ, you see, he did not begin to work healing in my life because of some rash vow that I made that I could not keep or or how much I wanted this sin to be gone out of my life or how badly I tried to make it work. No, Christ brought healing into my life because I brought my sin and confessed it in all of its ugliness and brought it out of the darkness and into the light. God does not despise A broken and contrite heart and I share that with you because you need to know that what I'm saying to you I have experienced I know well the sting of sin and the deception of it and the empty promises it makes and the fear that comes along with confessing that not just to to God but to man The thoughts of people will think badly of me, they'll think less of me, my witness is going to be hurt, I will be shamed for my sin. And I want you to know that that, those are lies. That is the fear that Satan, the enemy, wants you to live in. My friends, it is worth being shameful in the eyes of men if it means healing and freedom in the grace of Christ. So this morning... I want to spend our time together diving into this gift, this discipline, this means of grace that we have of confession. And to do that, I'm going to be in 1 John chapter 1. So if you have a Bible or device, you can turn there with me. And normally whenever we approach a a letter like this uh, written by an apostle, it's normally a good and acceptable thing to do, to give a little bit of context behind what we're reading. So I'm going to do that. The Apostle John um, he likely wrote this letter, this epistle, while he was staying in Ephesus. <clears throat> and evidently the group of, of, of churches or the individual church that he was writing to, some individuals in these places, they had taken to false teachings. Once, once who had been known as, as Christians who fellowshiped with God, they have taken to false teachings and they have left the church. And they have evidently continued to teach uh, the, these false teachings. And that'll, that'll be important. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, soon to come. But that is the occasion of what John writes in this letter and the purpose for which John writes. He actually tells us in four different places in the letter. John writes this epistle to complete their joy in one four, so that they will not sin to one, so that they will not be led astray two twenty six, 26, and so that they will know that they have eternal life, 513. And that is John's purpose for writing. So whenever we approach this letter and the verses that we're, we're going to read from it today, let that be our purpose as well. Let that be the work that God does in us, that our joy will be complete, that we will keep ourselves from sin, that we will not be led astray by false teachings in this world because there are so many, and that we can know and have confidence in the eternal life that we have secured in Jesus Christ. So I'll, I will start in verse 5 and read through verse 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And the main verse that I want to focus on here that I want us to to see is verse 9. And the message, so let's talk about this, the message that John says uh, that he has heard from Jesus Christ is that God is light, and that in him there is no darkness at all. So what, what, what does John mean by that? What does he mean? In much of John's writing, he actually uses the word light as an image of life, light is an image of life in John's writing. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, where he gets this from, the first day of God creating. What is the first thing God creates? Right? Light. Right? John is saying that God is light. He is saying that God is the very source of life. On a created level, God is the source of life. On a created level, he's the giver of life, and he is the source of life on a spiritual level meaning that everything that has life, that life was given by God, and anybody who has new life, eternal life in Christ, that life was given by God. God is the true source of life. So, so what, what about darkness, right? If, if John uses light to signify life, what do you think darkness means? It means death, yes, death, sin. God as the source of life. Death does not exist within him. It does not come from Him. And life as God designed it was meant not to die, right? You and I, our original purpose was meant as life, as created beings, was not to die, right? God did not create death. It was brought into this world because of sin. And sin is a present reality that we face and that we deal with and we partake in. And because of it, we face a very real death, and if we're not in Christ, we face a very real spiritual death. But here's the good news, that by trusting in the person and work of Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection, we are put in fellowship with God. You get the blessing of eternal life rather than the, the judgment and condemnation of eternal death because of sin. And Jesus, he, he has paid for, for that. He has took the wrath for it. And now we are tethered to Christ and restored to God. And that is a finished work that we get to live in right now. And you get to walk in his life, in his light. And you get, you get to experience things like hope, faith, trust, love, self-control, all things that give life. We've been called out of the darkness of sin and death and into the light that Christ gives. And to pursue the very source of life, Christ himself. And in our life as Christians, we live simultaneously as justified children of God and still sinners. At the same time, we are justified children of God and sinners. We have to live in that tension and we presently we feel the weight of our sin and the burden of it, but we so longly we so much and long for that sin to be taken from us, to where we experience its effects no more. And John suggests something radical that we can experience right now, something that you might think is radical in verse nine. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John tells us to confess our sins. So what, what is confession, right? Confession is the point that you come to whenever you realize that your sin personally is too much for you to bear. Right? It is the bringing of sin out of the, uh, of the hiddenness of darkness and into the light of exposure. You, you name it. You call it out in a specific way, and when you do that sin, it loses its power. And the dark or hiddenness sin grows, but in confession, it it is brought to the light and it withers. It is easy for for us people in the church, Christians, to admit that we are in fact sinners, right? Like, I'm a sinner. I'll, I'll admit it. But... It, it's one thing to do that, and it's another thing to admit specifically how you have sinned. But confession does not work if it is not honest and true. So if you, if you go to the doctor, right, and the doctor says, Hey, Ben, like, I, I see that you're here today. What, what seems to be the problem, man? And if you wanted an accurate assessment, an accurate diagnosis from the doctor, you wouldn't say, Yeah, doc, you know, I'm feeling just you know, generally bad kind of sick, right? He can't do much with that, right? The doctor, he can't write you a prescription to help. He, cannot, uh, he does not know what's going to help you because he doesn't know. You see, confession is honest and it is also specific, right? Confessing your specific brand of sin James, the brother of the Lord, he speaks of confession in this way. In James 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. And listen to this, that you may be healed. Did you hear that? Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. For why? That you may be healed. Who in this room wants healing from sin because of the grace of Christ? Right? Every single one of us want that if we want to grow closer to christ that 's what we want, right? And do not be mistaken sin it leaves a scar upon us, some some physical and some deep within our minds and our hearts. but a scar in a place where sin one, once existed is far better than an open wound where sin remains at large i don 't think anybody i don 't think anybody wakes up in the morning and is just excited to to confess their sins to their spouse or their friends, right? It's not even 8 a.m. and I can confess all my dirt, right? Nobody, nobody gets excited about that. I know I sure don't. And many times, the fear of confessing is greater than the fear of remaining in sin and the fear of death. So we, so we take living in the darkness of death and being a slave to our sin over actually bringing it into the light. We think that we will be condemned and judged, not just by man, but by God himself. So I would listen, listen to what John says is the response of Jesus to your personal confession of sin. This is what he says is, is God's reaction to your confession. He will be faithful to you. He will act justly toward you. He forgives you. He cleanses you from your sin. Right? When we bring our, our, confe- our sin to God in confession, unfiltered, honest, specific, it is met 100% of the time with grace, with forgiveness. He deals justly with us based off of the blood of Christ. And I think there are two reasons why we struggle to confess our sins, I think that we are either held back in our own pride or we truly don't feel the guilt for our sin. Know and watch out for both of these. Pride for almost half of, of my life, I lived in fear that if I confessed my sin of looking at pornography, then I would be looked at as less of a follower of Jesus that I would be labeled as an addict when, in fact, I truly was. I just did not want anybody to know that I was. That I would be the person who needed help rather than the person who could bring help. Right? Well, that, that's, that revealed my pride. And you see, a lot of times the fear that we experience around confessing our sins is really pride working in the background. You see, pride, it blinds us into thinking that if we have a sin problem then we don't have to deal with that as long as people don't know about it. As long as people don't know about it, I'm good. I still at least have the look of somebody who is righteous. And Pride leads us to lie about ourselves to the faces of others. And There were several times whenever I was in deep with my struggle with pornography, and a brother would come and say, Ben, how are you doing with this? And I would look at him and I would say, I'm doing good. You know, it's getting a lot better. And I would walk away with the facade of righteousness when in reality I was a slave to my sin and guilty. And one of the one of the false teachings actually that that John was was writing to combat was the false teaching that you don't have to deal you don't have to take your sin seriously. In fact, there you don't sin. This is the false teaching that he was writing to combat, and that's why he writes and he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, I imagine pride blinded the eyes of those people that were saying that, and pride, it deceives us into making us think that we actually know truth better than God does. We take our sin over God because pride, it blinds us to what God says about our sin. We need to be awakened from this facade of righteousness, that we put on whenever we are dealing with sin and actually pursue true righteousness. If you deal with pride, then then I put this challenge in front of you to habitually start confessing your sins to a brother and see how the Lord heals you from that. Listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in Life Together. He says, confession in the presence of a brother or sister is the profoundest kind of humiliation it hurts it cuts a man down it is dr- it is a dreadful blow to pride in the confession of concrete sins the old man dies a painful shameful death before the eyes of a brother because of this humili- because this humiliation is so hard we continually scheme to avoid it that's me Yet in the deep mental and physical pain of humiliation before a brother, listen to this, we experience our rescue and our salvation. See, confession, it slays pride as it exposes us to the wonderful grace that is met in Jesus. Second thing, no guilt. I think one of the the issues that we face, maybe as as a Western church, as, as a whole, is that we no longer truly grieve Our sin, And when I say grieve, I mean truly grieve our sin, not some practice rehearsed show that we put out to make it look like we actually feel sorry for what we've done. No, I mean a true heartfelt, Lord, I need you because my sin, it is great. You see, I think part of the problem is that we have defined, as a culture, we have defined shame and guilt as the same thing, when in reality those are two different things. You see, guilt says, what I have done is wrong, while shame says, something about who I am is wrong. You see, because of what Jesus has done, we are free from shame. We are freed from that, because Jesus, he became shameful for me so that I can become honorable in God's eyes. However, we still need to feel guilt for our wrongdoing. If you no longer feel the guilt for your sin, it's not because we're so familiar with God's grace. It's because our heart is far from God and it is callous to His grace. The feeling of guilt and grief for sin is a grace of God that lets us know that we need to turn away from our sin and run back to the heart of God. It's because of this grace that we know our sin. We should not, and this is a nuance that we need to know, that we should not feel so much as guilty for what our sin does to us rather than what it does to God. I think that there are two places where, where I would like to go to show you this. The first is the dialogue between God and Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. After they had sinned, God asked, where are you to Adam and Eve? And thinking about this, I imagine that God actually never had to ask this before. Why? Because Adam and Eve, they longed to be in his presence because they lived in a world that was free from sin, but not anymore. I imagine that this was not a gleeful, where are you, but a worried cry from a concerned father who is desperately searching for his lost children. And then God asks again, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? What is this that you have done? And I imagine that this was said with deep pain and sadness and lament over God's fallen beloved said, with more sorrow than we can fathom. And I believe that if we could have been there for this tragedy, of course God knew it would happen, but if I believe if we could have been there, I imagine that we would have seen the judgment and the wrath that God held back, and we would heard we would have heard and we would have felt the deep sorrow and lament in his words and the concerned expression upon his face. And we would see how deeply God truly grieves sin in our lives and in this world. In the second place, that if we want to know what our sin does to God, how it grieves him, then we look to the cross. See, God himself, as in human flesh, as a Jesus of Nazareth. He was condemned to die as the most innocent man to have ever walked this earth and to ever will walk this earth. God himself endured the pain and the sorrow and the judgment of death and separation for our sin. And why did he have to do that? Because that is the just penalty for sin. He took it for you and me. Right? So God, he grieves sin so much so that he died for it. But he did not stay dead. He rose again. And we ought to, as God grieves our sin, we ought to also grief, our sin. We cannot afford to be apathetic toward it. We do not want to stay in guilt, however. So let guilt drive us back to Christ. Let it drive you to confess your sins to a brother and be healed. And the last thing that I want to talk about, John, he, he, he writes in, in chapter 2, verse 1, I am writing these things to you so that you will not sin. This is a call to be holy as God is holy. Walking in the light of God means that we are pursuing His holiness. Right, so one of the most mind-blowing things to me that I think that Jesus could say to a sinner is to go and sin no more. Right, that seems like a contradiction, but it's not. See, John records a story in his gospel of a time whenever Jesus comes face to face with someone who the people of Jesus' day probably would have labeled as the worst kind of sinners, a woman caught in adultery. In an act to debase our Lord, the woman is drugged from her home by the Pharisees and flung at Jesus' feet. Moses says, Stoner. You going to disagree with him, Jesus? And I imagine this woman had never felt more shame and more fear in her entire life until this moment. Thoughts like, how long have they known? I wonder if death is more painful than this moment. And if Jesus says, stone her, he goes against the law, which... If he says to not stone her, he goes against the law, which he came to fulfill. But if he says to stone her, then he goes against the very grace that he has for her. And he does not answer at first, so they press him. The woman probably grows more tense in the suspense. And then Jesus replies, let him who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. The woman probably braces and expects for to hear a stone come whizzing through the air but instead she hears several stones drop to the ground and everyone walks away leaving Jesus and this woman alone together and Jesus looks at her and he says woman where are they has no one condemned you neither do I condemn you go and sin no more what a story of grace right? what What a high call that is placed upon this woman to go and sin no more. What a high call placed upon us, right? Put yourself in this story. You deserve to be stoned for your sin. But Christ, in your honest confession, he looks at you and says, I do not condemn you. And then go and sin no more. Go and live in a holy life that has been bought for you in the blood of Christ. Her forced, this woman's forced and honest confession was not met with, with, with judgment and condemnation. It was met with grace and purpose. And what was shaping up to be the war, absolute worst moment for this woman's life, Jesus turned around into the most defining moment and gave her a holy call to go and sin no more. And I submit to you that any honest confession with a contrite heart is always met with grace from our Lord and a calling into holiness, not just grace, but a calling into holiness. And my question for you is this, is what if confession is supposed to be for what if this is what confession is supposed to be for the church? for us. What if the way into what if the the way Jesus is calling us into go and sin no more is through confession? What if true honest unfiltered confession was a method for which Christ makes us holy and fit for service to him? And my friends, that is exactly what confession is. So then let us as men Acknowledge that we bear sin. And let us know what our sin does to our Savior and the great cost that He paid for the grace that we receive in Him. And let us not be held back in pride. Rather, let us slay our pride with confession. Let us feel the guilt, but not stay there and run to God in confession. And let us live in the freedom of holiness as we seek to live lives glorifying to God. And when we go to one another in, confet- in confession, let us be honest and real about our wrong. And if a brother comes to us in confession, let us meet him with the same grace and forgiveness as Christ does and call him into holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift that we have in confession, where the gift that we have in that to experience more your grace, Lord, lead us to that, God. Help us to, to acknowledge our sin before you and before a trusted friend. Lord, help us to turn away from that, Lord, and help us to be healed, God. Lord, we know that sin, it leaves scars, Lord, but help us to have hope that one day, Lord, We receive a new body, that the scars of sin are no more, but we get to walk in a completely new life with you in a completely new creation. Lord, help us to take hold of that. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.